Welcome to the We Are SC podcast. Eric McKinney here with Greg Katz, Daryl Rodeau. Mm-hmm. We are uh, in the in the press box doing this right after the fall showcase, 2019 fall showcase that kind of wraps up fall camp for USC. Now they have two weeks uh, of game prep to really get into the season, get ready for Fresno State. Uh, the the scrimmage overall fine. I, I don't think it, it gave us any sort of you know big in depth look at anything we hadn't seen so far uh, this fall. Some big plays, some missed plays, some you know growing pains a little bit kind of all over. But Daryl, let me start with you and and. and just go ahead, jump into to defense. What, what you saw, and I think maybe kind of a look at, at overall what you're seeing from, yeah. from the defense out there. You know, it, it goes back to the, the cliches, the perception and the reality. Uh, the perception that Clay wants us to believe is that by simplifying the defense or by simplifying terminology, guys are going to play faster. But then there comes that line of demarcation where you simplify things so much that the guys aren't prepared or as prepared as they need to be and in a showcase like today when there's live bullets and you got uh the the pace it felt like every other series was a two-minute drill you don't have enough time to kind of collect and gather your composure we saw the difference between those who who um have matured within the the system who have years tenure under Clancy Pendergast and some of the younger guys that they're going to have to rely upon whether it's from the defensive line linebackers or even the secondary I think it was very glaring that the secondary had a lot of communication breakdowns and as a result it led to their technique breaking down too many times that we see receivers crossing their face um, other times it felt like the receivers did a really good job of splitting the two safeties and penetrating in the middle of the field which for it's like the holy grail for this defense that's the one area that's coveted and has to be protected if you're going to eliminate the big plays you'll give up the 50 50 balls because you realize that uh, usc's receivers are very athletic but it felt like a tell sign that this defense isn't as glued as you would think that they would be considering that on the flip side of that offensively graham harold implemented a whole new system this is a defense that has been playing under Clancy Pendergast, and you'd like to think that they'd be a lot further along than they are. Your thoughts, Katz? Well, I, you know, I'm looking at it from kind of an offensive point of view. Um, I don't think there was any head-turning moments. I don't think there was anything that you know, all of a sudden you said, ah, oh, that's something we haven't seen before. The, the performers that performed well last scrimmage performed well this scrimmage. Uh, the quarterback situation to me is uh, status quo. I mean, you could just say each one of them provided what they've done in the past. Uh, I don't envy uh, the decision-making process uh, for Helton or for uh, for Harrell. Uh, it's going to be a tough thing. I, I I do believe that whoever starts at quarterback is not a bet to be the quarterback at the midseason point. Uh, it's going to tend on how the offense shapes up. Right now, they can pass the ball with the best of them deep. Uh, right now, they've got some sure-handed receivers like John Jackson III, who's to me has emerged as a great possession receiver. Uh, you know, the guys like Pittman, the guys you know like uh, Tyler Vaughns—they're outstanding NFL future. The big, the big key to me, uh, Daryl and Eric, is uh, that offensive line. It is like the elephant in the room to me because I did, I did not see an impressive running game at all. Uh, what was impressive is that when Marquise a step comes in there, the sophomore, uh, he creates a running game because he knocks everybody backwards. But in the long run, that's not going to be successful. 
And I'm just worried that some of the teams that are really elite teams, Notre Dame, uh, Washington on defense, Utah especially, you know, what's going to happen when the one thing that we don't see and we haven't seen is what happens when, as Daryl points out, those live bullets, they take off the yellow shirt off that quarterback, and that quarterback is going to take some shots, and that's going to be a test of uh, how that offense actually evolves. Yeah, and when you talk about the offensive line, I, I really keyed up on the tackles. At times, they looked like they were isolated on an island. And I thought that the officials today were very generous in terms of allowing the play to extend because there were a few times where I, I thought, whether it was Christian Rector or um, um, Drake, I thought that they at times got the better of the, the offensive linemen, but the play continued to extend. So it looked like a aha moment or a, a successful deep pass, but it was really just smart young defensive players playing smart football and allowing the quarterbacks to extend their plays. I think for me, if there's sort of a red flag at this point and, and about the scrimmage, it's that it feels like the first couple practices of, of fall camp we saw a lot of this stuff and I don't know obviously we're not breaking down film we're not in the huddle we're not talking to the guys during practices uh, but it feels like the improvement that we've seen over two weeks if you take that to the next two weeks it doesn't feel like this is going to be a, a great team yet you need you need I think the the curve that you need has to be really steep from now to then I think we've seen steps I think we've seen positions get better and solidify I'm still curious to see if it all clicks you know out here the the passing game we've seen I mean we've definitely seen practices where it's like they've put together sort of a run and they get the defense on their heels and attack and and to the offense's credit we did see that there were a couple times today where they were able to put two three passes together and, and you can see a defense going against this offense when this offense does that it's almost like once you get that second or third completion, the defense has already given up a touchdown because they're, you know, they've kind of been stunned and they just can't quite, can't quite get everything together to even play defense for the next, you know, two three plays, and then all of a sudden there's a touchdown. Eric, I, I think you hit something on the head because the, when we've heard from Clay Helton and, and Graham Harold about this offense isn't going to be very complicated in terms of throwing a ton of different um, formations and verbiages at you. Yeah, they may be multiples in terms of how they come at you from a personnel standpoint, but in terms of the plays, they have their core balance of plays. So this feels like an offense that is going to out-athletic you. They're going to beat you at the point of attack. And if they have success and they're able to kind of wear teams down, which they should because they can throw a ton of live bodies at you. But that's what makes the defense so disappointing. You've seen this offense now all throughout spring, all throughout summer, and yet with your best 11, you still can't manufacture enough plays to disrupt the timing and rhythm of the offense. Now, was that an indictment on the defense, or does that speak to the supreme athleticism of the skilled players on offensively? I'm curious to go back to you and one of your earlier points about the secondary. We knew going into the season you had to replace a ton of experience yeah. in that secondary. I mean, they, these are NFL draft picks, guys that have been there for playing for four years, uh, you know, in the, in the system for five years, some of them. You knew a lot of these guys coming in were talented but hadn't played a ton of football. Right. I'm curious, you watching these guys, does it feel like – does it feel like they're on the road there? Uh, you know, can, can they get there? Is this something where this group can gel and be a, a good to maybe even a great secondary at some point this year? Look, 
and I and I'm not trying to give away any secrets because I don't sit in in the the meeting rooms with Clancy um, and this defensive staff. But I have to believe with the size and athleticism of this defense, we may see heavy man coverage early on throughout the rest of this camp and the beginning portions of the season. Because right now, when they convert from man coverage to zone concepts, the communication, there's barriers that, that seem to break down where we're seeing a lot of guys running free. And for a coach that wants to go into a season with confidence, the best way to infuse confidence into a young athletic uh, secondary, in particular at the corner positions, is to allow them to play a lot more man coverage, maybe sprinkle some zone to give them the confidence that, hey, I can play with anybody. It's thinking, it's the motions and the shifts and the adjustments right now that I don't think that these younger corners, younger being from um, age-wise in terms of freshmen coming in or experience on the field, they haven't quite figured out the most effective way to communicate with one another. So as a result, we're not seeing the best of their capabilities. So going to man coverage early on should give them the freedom to just express their athleticism. Greg, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip this over to you real quick, and I'm going to immediately date this and, and ruin it when they announce a starting quarterback in the next five minutes while we're doing this. But can, can you give me let, – let, let's go into a little breakdown of the quarterbacks. I, again, what we talked about with a lot of stuff today, I didn't see anything today that made me think, oh, wow, we haven't seen that from Matt Finger. We haven't seen that from JT Daniels. The, at, at this point, it really feels like this is what these guys are. This is what they can do. And, and – my question is, when someone is named, do then they take it up another level because the reps are going to increase so much? I think they'll naturally take it up a level in terms of uh, cohesiveness. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be productivity. And the reason I say that is we don't know what the offense is going to be with whoever they, they, they select as quarterback because each quarterback has his, his positives and they have their negatives. And we will find out in the first three games, okay, right away, uh, just what kind of offense they have with that particular quarterback in the game. Let's just assume that JT is the starter, okay? JT hasn't been hit. None of the quarterbacks have been hit. Now, what happens when he starts getting hit? What happens when mobility becomes a question and the offense starts to stall or there's some, you know, pick sixes in there? And you say, well, wait a minute, he's just a pinata, okay? And you can't do that. So what does that mean? Well, let's just say, for example, you bring in Sears. All of a sudden, Sears has mobility. The offense starts moving the ball. I'm not saying the Sears is the answer, total answer, although I will tell you, I mean, I'm, <laughs> we're pretty open and honest here, and I hope the listeners will appreciate it. This is just my opinion. I would be starting Sears. Uh, but then again, my job isn't on the line. Uh, I'm not worried about experience. However, however, with... Uh, with Sears, you have a guy who has shown his experience. He was against ASU. You know, the fact that they lost is irrelevant to me only because what did Sears do in that game that allowed them to be so competitive, I think, from a leadership standpoint? Now, what I also would say is, hey, Fink is kind of like Sears. He's mobile. He can move around. He's a threat. Okay? So, fine. Then you get down to, to, to Slovis, and I, he's very workmanlike. You know, I don't really get into that he's young. He's inexperienced, but he's been well coached uh, by a former NFL quarterback, and it shows. And, he's, you know, he throws a couple picks, but then, you know, they all throw a couple of picks. You know, do you, the, you know upsetting the apple cart. I think the real key here is, and I know that I'm probably uh, creating some sort of a scenario here, 
What happens if if Slobus is picked as the number two quarterback behind whoever they start? What how's that going to affect the group? Uh, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of uh, you hate to say it. I think there's a lot of politics. I think there's a lot of psychology, and uh, you know. This I know, and I've said it every time we've talked, and I'll say it again because I believe in it. I think this team knows who the quarterback should be. They're not going to make the decision, but they're going to know, which creates, and Daryl would know this having been at a collegiate level like USC. You know, if the team buys into you, it makes all the difference in the world. If the team says, well, who are they picking that guy for? They'll go along with it up to a point because they'll figure, okay, well, maybe you can do it. But at the first sign of like oh gosh this is exactly what we all didn't want to have happen yeah. daryl you know going back reflecting back almost 20 years now when i was in these spring practices and we were trying to decipher um post like carson palmer who was going to be the next quarterback it oftentimes came down to the body language of the offense when they came out of the huddles could you feel that erectness about them that tenacity that they were approaching or was the body language and the demeanor really dejective? Oftentimes, the players know who they want to be leading them down the field. And defensively, we always knew when there was uncertainty coming from that, that quarterback position. If we moved, if we shifted, if we showed a little bit something different, a wrinkle, did the quarterback have the confidence to uh, at the line of scrimmage to make the necessary adjustments, or was there pause in the voice? And right now, if you're just talking about pure body language, you have to look at JT and his confidence and his, um, his uh, chemistry with some of the veteran receivers, albeit has he had enough time with them to extend that chemistry dating back from last year in this new system? At some point, you are going to have to start tapering down the rotation so that the starters can get that chemistry and, and any improvisation that you're um, empowering the receivers to have, make sure that the quarterback and the receivers are seeing the windows the same way. Like for me, that, that's a big thing. When the receivers talk about, you know, you, you get this route called, but that might not be the route that you run. I mean, it, it's all sort of similar, but, you know, do you go eight yards or can you break it at seven? Can you know? Do you go all the way across the field, or can you sit down somewhere? Getting to the point where you're seeing the same thing as a quarterback, I, I imagine that is extremely difficult. And when you're getting a quarter of your reps with the potential starter, maybe a quarter of your reps, I guess. Uh, I, I think that has to be harder. We started fall camp thinking, you know, all four of these quarterbacks are really playing well. I don't think it matters who they pick. I think they could find an answer with all four of them. Every day that goes by at this point, it's it gets more and more imperative that I, that yeah. they choose a starter. I think there's a tipping point to yeah. where it's like, let's get going yeah. with the starter now. If I'm looking at this from a defensive perspective and I'm going up against the Graham Harrell coached offense, um, I'm looking at maybe playing a lot of quarter-quarter halves, cover six, cover four. And what that is is I'm going to reduce the field, try to keep two safeties high, and force you to beat me in these windows that you talked about. So now if you're playing quarter-quarter halves, you got corners that are either squatting in like a cover-two shell or they're dropping in deep fourths. And then you got these safeties robbing these crossing routes. Are you really seeing the same windows? Because if, you're, if you want to tell me that I can take mental reps from the sideline when I'm trying to gear up and, and, and prepare for a season, then I'm going to have pushback towards you. 
because the only way to truly get better is to be in those live situations underneath the center, seeing the same windows that the receivers are seeing. How are they sitting? Are they giving you that big um, um, frame so that I can throw into? The guy who stands out for me, I know you talked about John Jackson III, even um, Michael Pittman Jr. and, and um, Tyler Vaughn, but for me, it's Devin Williams. This kid just seems to just, his shadow seems to overwhelm defenses. And what I mean by that is he, he, he plays like a number one, rotating with the twos. And at some point, you're going to have to figure out a way to get this kid on the field because he's such a playmaker and a very talented and loaded wide receiving group. Yeah, I mean, when, when Devin Williams is potentially an afterthought at some point you know you're set at wide receiver and this is a an incredibly strong group well we, we've done that because there's so many receivers that are great mm -hmm. you almost forget about Vellis Jones yes look at this offense has changed this guy this this guy is a real player now mm -hmm. he, he wasn't in my perspective in the past but he is now and even missed spring practice so when you look at where he's grown and then you look at like you said, Devin Williams. Devin Williams is going to be an NFL player. I think we can all agree on that one. And there's about three or four other receivers. But there's so many of them, you know, you have to give them their due. Uh, they're going to make a difference. I mean, I don't know if we've mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown. Maybe he winds up <laughs> as, as the best another, receiver in the Pac-12. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Greg, go, going back to you, I'm curious. Answers that you've seen over two weeks and then questions you still have at this point, just kind of looking at, at the entire roster? Well, the, the, the answers to me are that the receivers are great. They're probably nearly as good as anybody in the country. I don't think you're going to get an argument about that. I still think that there's excellent running backs. I think the quarterbacks all have their own deal. It's going to be up to the coaches to decide what they want to do. I have some severe questions about the offensive line. Uh, we had that coming in. I have no reason to change my, my mind on it. I think defensively they're going to be very aggressive. I think the secondary is inexperienced. They've, they've, they've had challenges. But remember that these, these quarterbacks have not been harassed, okay? These quarterbacks have not been harassed with uh, tackling. We don't know what's going to happen on both sides of the ball when it's released the Kraken. What's going to happen when, when the opposing quarterback, Fresno State or Utah, goes after our quarterbacks? How are they going to react? We don't know how our secondary is going to be helped by the pass rush of Tufeli uh, and, and you know Tuipoloto, we don't know. Those, those are like things we want to think we do, but those are going to be tremendous elements gonna, that are going to really evolve in it. Overall, I think this, this we don't know what this team is going to be about uh, because you know the team's going to evolve as it goes. It's going to have to play game by game. Anybody who thinks the Fresno State is going to be a thirteen point five uh, you know win. It may end up that in the fourth quarter, but it's going to be a war, I can tell you that right now. Daryl, same, same thing as you. It, um, for me, I, I'm going to focus on um, what I perceive to be question marks. Um, you, you talked about the interior part of the defensive line. Um, I have no problem with Peely, uh, Tufel, and uh, Tui Pelotu, but it's the depth um, aside, outside of the rush ends, outside of Christian Rector and, and Drake. Um, my question is, 
who after them can manufacture run and the depth at the interior linebacker positions concerns me. You lose, uh, at least for the beginning part of the season, uh, Jordan Iosefa, who is like your duct tape. He's your a Swiss Army knife. He's played everywhere known to man um, in the front seven. That gives you that versatility. Behind them, behind he, uh, John Houston and EA, I'm concerned, is there a drop-off in terms of versatility, being able to cover the pass, or do you have a lot of um, hitmen who are looking downhill and just trying to stuff the run. Beyond that, I'm still, although um, Clay may be more optimistic about the nickel position, can you really trust Greg Johnson? I trust Chase Williams, but is he more of a safety or can he play in space? And if not him, then you're going to um, Ray Scott and again, you're just losing that athleticism. Do you have a guy who can play three downs at that position or will it be a rotation, a, a carousel week by week? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask myself the same question. I, I think answers, and we got a, a couple more clues today. This the kickers, special teams. I mean, this is not something that we talk about a lot. Ben Griffiths got into a punt today that I it, it went more than you know 60 yards from the line of scrimmage. I think we counted something like 75 or 78 yards right, from where he punted it. 72 or something. Like yeah, that, from yeah. where he punted it, uh, and, and fair caught at the eight yard line. Oh, by the way, oh, it was, <laughs> was, it was, was insane. Able, was able to do that. Uh, we've you know all fall camp. It it feels a little crazy when you don't know who your quarterback is to be raving about your punter and, and be okay with it. But he's been that good. Chase McGrath has come back and started kicking, and yes, he, he is has. he is bombing field goals right now. He made a 51-yarder today and makes it made it look easy. It is really good to see him back. Those are two positions where, when you go into a season with question marks on offense and defense, to know that your two kickers, and of course we're jinxing them for the whole season <laughs> talking about this, but to know your two kickers are as good as those two are, and then Alex Deadhouse too uh, on kickoff saw a lot of touchbacks today. I think those are positions that, obviously, with the questions somewhere else, we don't spend a lot of time talking about. But but it was good to see those again and again. Like I said, those are answers for me that you know those spots at least are, are locked up. Well, I, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, uh, we've been talking about Griffiths. He, he's an NFL punter, he, and he's, you know, he, he's. I think he's going to be the best punter ever at this school. You know, I mean, Tom Malone was a great. He was good, but Tom Malone's not in the NFL mm -hmm. and was not in the NFL for, for long. This guy's going to be there because he can do so much with the ball, and he can, you know, if he was a pitcher in baseball, he said this guy's, you know, Araldus Chapman. He can bring it. But I think your point about McGrath is really important because the thing about McGrath is, just remember, this is a guy at a very young age was tremendous against Texas. He kicks him into overtime, and then he kicks and wins the thing. He has got that experience. Yeah. The only thing he doesn't have is the remainder of, of a season because he had knee surgery. So you can't take the inex the experience out of him. He's got the experience. Mm -hmm. And like yeah. like you said, Eric, I mean, it, it, look, at this is a team that's going to need to put points on the board. Yeah, but, but more importantly, um, because of the confidence that you have in, in Chase McGrath and, and your punting game, it gives a newfound confidence to your coaching staff when you're talking about playing more situational football. Knowing and trusting that y you can flip the field 
with the punt game and kind of like chess set yourself up for three three series later down the road when when the um, field is probably more in your favor all of that is something that clay hasn't always had in years past that he can rely upon so being able to say okay you know we don't have to press the issue and score every time. We can actually flip the field and give ourselves a fighting chance. That's going to help you, maybe not against Fresno State, but you talk about Stanford, Utah, going to Notre Dame. These are situations where your kicking game travels well, and having that confidence is only going to allow this team to kind of realize its identity early on in the season. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up the questions that I have to, to kind of put a bow on where – Again, we have a lot of questions at this point, two yeah. weeks left. It's still time to find answers, but right now, where we are, I'm curious if this team is tough. This is a tough schedule that they go against. I know that individual players are tough. I watch the way Marquis Step runs. I know that he's tough. I watch Amon Ross St. Brown after he catches the ball. Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's the way they go up seemingly through defensive backs to pull down almost everything thrown their way. I know individual guys are tough that we talked about the front of, of the defensive line. I'm curious if, if this team can find a way with this air raid offense that again is going to put the ball in the air a ton. If they can find a way to line up and have players across from them worried about who they drew in their matchup or, or, or is Someone from Fresno State is someone from Washington going to line up and go, oh, no, I have to go against whoever it is. And that, to me, can you can you bring that mentality back from five and seven to getting all the way there is a long road to go in one offseason. Yeah. There was so much talk about how good the strength and conditioning program was. Yeah. So much talk about kind of the fire they've brought into this fall camp. I don't know if they're there yet again. Two weeks. Yeah. I don't have to go up against yeah. any of them. So, so and, and these, these are real question marks uh, and real concerns if you're talking about trying to determine after a scrimmage game what is the identity of this team. And what I heard you say was a lot of skill positions, the toughness coming from there. That's not how a team's identity is defined. It's defined by your offense and defensive line, those fat nasties, those tough SOBs, the guys that – I used to hate and I used to dread that intimidated me, okay? You want those intimidators to come from inside out, not outside in. When your team is built with tough guys outside, perhaps you're weak in the middle. I don't know if that's the case, but we haven't seen this offense or defensive line really assert their identity on a team that, that seems to be glamored by skilled players. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this fall camp ended on a down note with this practice. I, I don't think it was, or the sorry, the, the fall showcase. Um, I think it's a lot of what we've seen. I think there's a lot of sort of building blocks to where in two weeks we could see a lot of improvement. We could see this team come out against Fresno State and, and everything sort of clicks and, and everything looks good. I don't think it's a finished product yet, and I don't think anybody would, would kind of disagree with that assessment. But... Over the next two weeks, this team's going to get a lot more work in, and we'll see where things are come Fresno State. So we've got we've got two weeks to wait. Team's got two weeks to put it together, and we'll see how things go in the 2019 season. So for Greg Katz, for Daryl Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast.